Let's get our faith on, do some faith exhortation, turn to somebody and say, hey, whatever it takes, whatever it takes today, whatever it takes, come on, put some edge on that, whatever it takes. I have a warm-up question for you. I want to get your brain juices flowing. So here's your warm-up question. You're going to have to really think about this. It, it's, it's almost an academic question, which is, I don't know, very stretching for Blue Water. Uh, the question is, how do you define the word spiritual? Spiritual. Think about it. What, what's the best way to define the word spiritual? I'm going to give you eight seconds to be brilliant. Think, think, think. How do you define the word spiritual? All right, that's enough time to be brilliant. What do you think? Somebody, ha- define for me the word spiritual. Go. What do you got, Mint? Of or relating to the things not natural. Of or relating to things not natural. That's interesting. That's interesting. So it's sort of synonymous with unnatural. Unnatural, spiritual. That's interesting. You know, I mean, th- there's a lot to that. Uh, something that's different, something that doesn't fit into normalcy. All right, what else? Non-committal? Spiritual is non-committal? Like, there's a backstory to that definition. People who say they are spiritual but aren't willing to actually believe in anything. Is that what you're thinking? No, I, saw, I know where his brain is going on that. That's interesting. All right, who is it over here? Claire. Um, a pattern or a ritual of being spirit-filled. A pattern or a ritual of being spirit-filled. Now, that's interesting because, of course, it begs the question, What is spirit-filled, which is a a whole other definition, I suppose. Yeah, who's that, Bri? Yeah. I would say sincere, and the reason I use that word is because it goes to the heart of how we were designed, spiritual beings. Ah, interesting. Oh, this, this is very heady. Okay, this is interesting. So, Brian says the definition of the word spiritual is sincere. And the reason he thinks that is because spiritual goes to the very heart of who we are. Sincere, uh, like if you speak Spanish, the word sincero, it just means uh, the simplest. The, the most essential would be another way uh, to, uh, to define that. So the most essential thing about us, that's what spiritual means. That's interesting. Oh, you guys are like, you're like way smarter than first service. There, there, are, there are fewer of you, but you each count for two, I feel like. Yeah, interesting. Okay, one more definition. I'm, I'm sure this is going to be the best one. All right, so the word spiritual. Who's got it? Who's got it? Come on. Who's got it? Spiritual. How do you define the word spiritual? All right, John. I'll say, I'll say calling out to that which is not seen. Calling out to that which is not seen. Uh, that's kind of packed. Because it means whatever it is, we might not have direct evidence of it. And, and I think maybe operationally, that is kind of the way that people use the word spiritual. Yeah. All right. Good job, guys. Give yourself a hand. You can massage your scalp. I know that was hard. Everybody had to think really hard. All right. Here's another one. You did so great on that one. Let me ask you this question, uh, which will sound obvious for about two seconds, and then it will be hard. How do you define the word life? What is life? fun. (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but it makes me want to hang out with Richie. Yeah, yeah, fun. Good and bad experiences. So there's sort of an adjectival. It's a description of how life is. That's one way to define it. It has breath, has breath, which is interesting. Uh, Unless maybe you're a fish. Uh, 
but 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 sure. Sure. Yeah, JJ. JJ is back this week, by the way. He moved to Mexico, but he's come back because he missed us so much. Yes. What would you say? Action. Life is action. Now, that's, a, that's actually a really interesting uh, definition because life, life moves willfully. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, Connie, what you got? Now. Now. Life is now. Okay, so that's one of those loaded definitions. There's a lot to that. Oh, you guys are you're like way better than first service. Is it because you have more time to wake up? Mert in the back. Way in the back. Mert's going to have the best one. Life. Life is a choice. I told you that Mert was going to have the best one. Like, like I should have just, yeah, just let Mert preach. Um, but, like, you got to choose it, which is so interesting. I, I think, like, yeah, that's an interesting conversation there. Uh, because whatever life is, life, life is that which wants to be. Life is that which tries. That's my own personal definition of it. If inanimate objects, they exist, but they don't try anything. Animate objects try, choose, act. Yeah. Oh, good stuff, guys. You guys are so smart. I'm just going to shut up and have you talk uh, amongst yourselves. Um, yeah, interesting. These are words that are important words, right? They're loaded concepts. And in some ways, these are the concepts that kind of drive us, you know, through our existence. Spiritual. I mean, that's a big deal for a, a lot of us. Uh, follow hard after God, and that word spiritual, the idea of what is spiritual or spirit-filled, that's really huge. Life, I mean, life kind of dominates everybody, but do you really stop and think about what the substance of it is, what the defining uh, quality, the essence of it is? Uh, Great meditations. Uh, It's a little tricky to define such big things. Sometimes it's just sort of along the lines of you know it when you see it, right? You know, when you experience it, ah, that was a spiritual thing. Ah, that thing was life, right? And in the spirit of that, I thought we'd share a few stories from the all-church retreat that we just had. We just, uh, we skipped out of church last week, and we went away to a campground, and uh, long about 300 of us actually camped and and hung out. Um, So, uh, good job with that. It was, I think, filled with spiritual and I think it was filled with life. What do I mean by that? Well, one good way is just to kind of share uh, stories. Uh, Johnny, why don't you come up first? Uh, have Johnny share a story. These aren't going to be big involved stories, but just like, you know, brief descriptions of what happened for these wonderful people. So uh, how was it for you, Johnny? Um, so I can't pinpoint when it started happening, but maybe sometime within the last... Uh, five, six months or so, I started feeling really scared about many things and like the most random things and some very like very general fear and a very specific fear. And one, one that was really specific, which had a big impact on me was I was afraid that when I took the time to listen to God, he was going to tell me to do street evangelism. And, and, like, for me, I'm pretty introverted, so I don't like talking to strangers. So that, that, that's a whole thing. Um, and then I was experiencing a lot of, like, really, really severe anxiety, and I didn't know why. And, like, to the point of having, like, almost having panic attacks and this and that. And I, I um, Joanne, my wife, was saying, like, it's so strange because normally you can handle this pressure, whatever the pressure was. Normally you can handle all this stuff. 
and I couldn't, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. And so leading up to, oh, and I also had, like, because I was afraid that God was going to tell me stuff I didn't want to do, I just wasn't listening. So I felt like there was the, this fear was creating a lot of distance between me and the Lord. And um, leading up to the retreat, I felt really scared, and I don't know why. I just felt scared to go to retreat, but I showed up. And then on Saturday, when Steve invited people to get prayed for, for, for fear and anxiety, I, I was like, I think that's me. So I stood up. And um, uh, people were praying for me, and my dad was praying for me. And he, I'm not going to be super specific, but he had, he had this vision, and he shared it with me. And the gist of it was, in, in spite of me feeling like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do for God, my dad said, God sees you, and he, he wants you to know that you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're in the right place. You're in the right time. You're, in the right, you're on the right path. Um, and I was like, oh. And so I started to cry. And then I started to scream. And if you were there, you heard me. So, so I was screaming and screaming and screaming, and like to the point where I like collapsed on the floor, and I was still screaming. And OK, with, out of context, this is really funny. But my first thought when I started screaming was, am I an apostle? Because, because Steve had said something about that. You, had, then, to, you had to be there. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. But, but, then, but then immediately after, I was like, no, I don't think I'm an apostle. I think, I think something, is in, something like doesn't want to be in here. So when I was on the ground I, and screaming, I started screaming, get out. And I couldn't, I don't know, I just impulsively said it. I said, get out several times, and maybe like the third, fourth time or whatever. Um, something left. I don't know what it was. And um, I came to pretty much, and the first thing I see is Samuel Garner like reaching down like this to give me a hug because God told him to. And, uh, and he said something to me that was pretty personal. But um, yeah, and then, and then a few minutes after that, I had like this list of fears that I went through each one. And I was like, each one, I was like, nope, I, pff, whatever. But then I was also thinking, I was also thinking, oh, you mean I can do this now? And God was like, wait, wait, wait. There's a difference between being wise and not having fear, so you slow your roll. But anyway. Slow your roll. Good job, man. Just a little vignette of a young guy had a moment with God. How about, how about our young little Sasha? How about you? Come on up. She actually contacted us and said, can I, can I just share with the church briefly? So, bold kid, Morning, what do you got? Morning, family. Happy Sunday. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sasha Daniel, and I've been attending Blue Water for a little over three months now. Um, and just a little background, um, when I first walked through those doors, I was very broken and had recently walked out of a dysfunctional home. And I'd also not been to church in over three years. Through a friend, I was connected with Kristen and Neil Hafner, who welcomed me into their home when I had nowhere else to go. They were regular attendees at Blue Water, and um, they invited me to come along with them that very weekend. And I remember my first service at Blue Water and how discouraged I felt, too, to get back into the Sunday morning routine. Um, my history with church was one disappointment after the next, and in the past, I constantly struggled with feeling like I belonged and questioned whether there was even a place for me. Um, but I got myself out the door and continued to show up every Sunday, and then came the announcement of the all-church retreat, and 
it seemed to be the talk of the town. <laughs> Blue Water's greatest event of the year, you can't miss it, is what I was told. So I went not knowing what to expect. And want to know what else I didn't know? That it would be one of the best, if not the best thing that has happened to me. Um, I witnessed hearts touched, faith stirred, spirits renewed. I built genuine friendships, um, made lifelong memories, and encountered the Lord in such a way that has radically changed my life forever. One of these encounters was on Holy Spirit Night. I was one of those folks who stood up for prayer. Um, and Pastor Jordan was praying over me, and he says, more, Lord, give her more. And almost instantly, my breathing started to feel heavier. And it's hard to put into words, but it was almost like with every inhale, I wasn't taking in oxygen, but I was breathing in the breath of God, and he was filling my lungs with his strength. Um, I'd never experienced love at such an intensity until that moment when I opened my eyes and I saw all my new brothers and sisters surrounding me in a circle. Um, I thought to myself, like, wow, this is what it means to be adopted into God's family. Um, and coming into the retreat, I wanted so badly to be slain in the spirit. I was like, please, somebody, knock me out, you know. And, and here I was saying, Lord, this is what I want to experience, but he saw what I needed, and he was like, I'm going to give you more. Um, I realized then after every prayer, every word of encouragement, every ounce of love poured out to me that I had truly found a home at Blue Water and a family and all of you guys. Um, God met me in my uncertainty and insecurity, and he used it for breakthrough. Um, and it's something I'll never forget. And I can say with complete confidence that God's going to meet you and move through you at next year's retreat and everyone to follow. All that he asks is that you show up with a willing heart and wait expectantly. Thank you. That's pretty cool. And how about Corey? Let's have Corey tell a story about what happened for her there. Good morning. I'm Corey. Um, so the retreat was amazing, and I'm going to share what happened to me there. Um, so since I was a little girl, um, I experienced some pretty severe childhood trauma um, that resulted in, as an adult, struggling with um, very severe anxiety, panic attacks, and um, probably most crippling was um, has been the night terrors that I've had for 30 years, um, where I will wake up screaming, like really screaming and sweating, and it's just um, really brutal. So that's been going on for a really long time. Um, and I really wanted to come to this retreat, and um, I felt like God was calling me to come and that he wanted me there, but I was also really nervous. And I told um, John Roberts and Anna, I'm like, hey, I want to come to the retreat, but I'm nervous because I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to scream in my sleep and it's going to be really embarrassing for me. Um, and then John Roberts, being himself, said, it's okay, just put your tent um, by our tent, and if you scream, I'll pretend like it's me and I'm screaming like a woman. <laughs> so, so that made me feel better. And... Um, I decided to come. <laughs> so on Holy Spirit night, um, the Lord really touched me in a powerful way. Um, I, I definitely like felt the Holy Spirit on me and uh, Janelle and Joanna were praying for me. And Janelle got such a specific word that I 
was getting attacked by a terrorizing spirit and she commanded it to leave and to get off of me. And I physically in that moment felt it be removed from my body and it, I've never experienced anything like that. And then that night I go to sleep, I wake up in the middle of the night and instead of darkness and fear, there was the total peace of God in my tent. And I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is what it feels like to be able to sleep and, and have the peace of God with you. Um, and since then, um, I have had really peaceful sleep. I've had almost no anxiety. Um, and in my dreams, the Lord has been giving me blueprints and strategies for how to continue walking out my healing. So when I'm waking up, I'm, I'm releasing freedom and healing to that person and forgiveness to that person and speaking peace to this situation. So what the enemy meant for harm in my life, God is turning it around and using it for good. Um, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so always nice to hear the stories. I mean, uh, we have the saying at Blue Water that we're in it for the stories because uh, you can, uh, you, I mean, you can teach from, you know, the Bible, but you can only preach from experience, right? And, um, and so experiences teach us so much. They give us so much. Um, and however else you can describe all of those stories, you would say, well, those stories are spiritual, right? Those stories are life, right? They're life magnifying. Uh, those stories have something to do with uh, being not natural, being otherworldly, being, you know, it's like, it's all that, but you kind of see it, <laughs> right? You see the whole tableau in front of you. Instead of trying to define it academically with words, you just kind of recognize it. Uh, experientially for the life and the spirit that it is. it is. It is sincere. It is essential, right? We feel it where we should feel it. And, and that's kind of what we're about. I mean, uh, the Bible talks about that in different ways. Jesus talks about this thing called the kingdom of heaven on earth. And, and he has like all of these different parables which start with the line, the kingdom of heaven is like <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And then he gives you these illustrations, and then he gives you these demonstrations, right? He heals people, he delivers people, uh, like those stories were about. Um, he shares with people, he raises people up, he socially re revolutionizes people, like all of these different things. Um, we're in this uh, sermon series, preparatory to the retreat, we were in this sermon series on calling. Uh, we want to be called by God but we also want to share the call of God with other people in the world. So we want to be called and we want to, to be call-ers uh, together. Uh, we talked about how uh, the first thing you need to understand about God's call in your life is that it's a call to decision, right? You need to make a decision uh, to follow after Jesus because Jesus is the decision point that God gave us. Um, uh, yeah, you, have to, you have to commit, uh, as Jameson said earlier. And then we talked about how when God calls a person, he always calls that person to purpose, right? He always calls you to a job. Every time you respond to the call of God, it's to build something important in the world, in life, something like that. Uh, we talked about how uh, if you want to hear God's call in your life, all you have to do is listen. But you have to listen simply, right, without filters. A lot of times the filters that we have in life are in the form of fears and anxieties, uh, and uh, I have it on good testimony that God will take care of those if you give him half a chance. Uh, so that's nice. 
Um, and, and if you are willing to hear God's call for you in an unfiltered sort of way, then you're going to have to follow after it. And if you do, you will have to be willing to change. Right? That's the last bit of it. And if you follow after God's call, you will, you will have to give up some things. And you will also gain some things. Um, you'll become a different person and your life will get very, very interesting. Right? Whatever else happens, your life will be really interesting. In our sermon series, Sonia preached on the middle of it and reminded us that God's call is always a God was always a call to eternity, right? Which is to say it's spiritual. Like there's something outside of our experience that we're all headed to and we're getting toward that the best that we, qu- that the best that we can following the best guide that we have. And that guide, of course, is Jesus. And today, I just want to wrap things up by talking about, I don't know, you might call it a place of calling. How, how to exist together as people who are called and people who are calling uh, or the, the concept that really resonates in my mind is one of a spiritual ecosystem. I want to talk about the ecosystem of spiritual life together. Um, we, we tend to call it a church or a fellowship, something like that. Um, but I want to talk about it as if it's an ecosystem, a place of, of growth and, and togetherness. You know, I've been following after Jesus for decades now. And all of it has been very interesting. All of it has been filled with blessing along the way, challenges and all of that stuff. But there are a few times in my life, my life together with, with Sonia, as we've been together for over 30 years. Oh, parenthetically. Uh, this is my best friend from high school, Paul Sutherland in the back with his wife, Sherry. So if you want, if you want some interesting stories from my life, 18 years old and younger, you can check with Paul. But it also happens to be their 35th anniversary today. So So give them a bunch of hugs and kisses uh, before they go. Um, But super cool to have them here, speaking of interesting times. Um, But in my life together with Sonia, we, we just had some times and places or some little ecosystems that were sort of iconic for me, like really made me understand experientially, you know, what it was to be in a place of calling and everything that goes into it. Uh, a, a time in my life that I tell a lot of stories about in churches is, is, uh, is actually, and Sonia and I were together, but not married yet. And I lived in a place called East Palo Alto, California, and, um, which at the time was the most violent ghetto in America. Uh, you know, so it was a really interesting place to live. Uh, and I moved in there with a couple buddies from college, and we just rented this big old house, and we did every crazy thing we could think of eventually, just having all these people off the street live with us on these uh, crack cocaine was the thing there, all these crack addicts, and, and uh, you know, uh, yes, all of that. Um, and every night I fell asleep to automatic weapons fire outside my window. Every night, every night. Uh, some machine guns in the streets and stuff like that. And, uh, and you would think that that would just be such a, a hellish way to live. Uh, but uh, we enjoyed that house. We started a small group in the house, uh, just sort of gathered people on, I think it was maybe Thursday night, and it just filled to overflowing uh, from some people from the neighborhood, some people from across Freeway 101 uh, would come because uh, we were part of a church over there. And, uh, and people came to the Lord uh, in that small group, not just a few either. 
uh, I remember people would come to that house in the afternoons, like after they got off work, just to come in and sit on our ratty sofa. These are people from the Silicon Valley side of the freeway. They would just come and sit on the sofa. And, you know, and our door was always unlocked, so they would just wander in. And it's like, man, why are you here? It's like, I don't know, man. It's just, just a, a peaceful place to be. You know, meanwhile, in the corner, you hear, <laughs> ah! It's like, it's just the peace of the Lord here, you know? <laughs> And, uh, like, you couldn't walk to my house and not be approached by uh, a drug pusher. And, and, you know, if you didn't take the drugs, then they thought you were a cop, and that could go bad quickly. Um, but people were, like, peacing out in the living room. It's just, it's just, it was spiritual, you know? Uh, I don't know the word to, to use for it. And it was generosity plays. Me and my roommates, we just shared everything because I didn't have any money. They supported me mostly, and, and I just sort of did all this weird street ministry. And uh, anyway, uh, one of my roommates is still there, has been living there for over uh, 25 years now, 30 years, and still doing great work there, and has pretty much taken in kids to his home and raised them, his kids off the street. Um, another uh, period I think about uh, was in uh, South Chicago. Sonia and I got married when I lived in East Palo Alto. And a little while later, we moved across the country. I started graduate school at the University of Chicago. And that was a very depressive period of my life. I struggled deeply with depression there. So uh, we reached out, tried to find good Christian fellowship. We could not find a living church anywhere in that region of the city. It was a really, really rough time and a rough place on the south side of Chicago. So we ended up uh, commuting for a while, 45 minutes to the north side of Chicago where we went to Steve's church. It's the guy who ministered at the All Church Retreat with us. Until uh, we started a small group in our living room, we had this interesting loft living room, and it was good that it was very spacious because it grew uh, and became a church that is still there 25 years later and doing well, that church. So it was an accidental church plant as have been all of our church plants. But it started with me and Sonia, and I think about six undergraduates. So like a group of eight people, nine people. Of that original group of young, clueless people, and remember I, severely depressed, leading it, of that little group, I've, I lose count now, but I think eight churches have been planted directly from those people. So that desperate little small group in a desperate little neighborhood on the south side of Chicago is responsible for eight churches. Uh, around the world directly, and those churches have now had grandchildren churches and stuff like that. Incredibly fruitful. That little community has created so much community. That little slice of the kingdom of heaven on earth has gone forward. And so I look back at these times and I ask myself a reasonable question. I was like, what made them so good? What made them so spiritual? What made them so full of life? I mean, exactly what is that? Because clearly you can see it by looking at it, right? Even as I tell you the stories, you can kind of feel like, wow, you know, there was something going on there. What exactly goes into that kind of ecosystem that creates that kind of health unto that kind of life, unto that kind of spirituality? Is that what you want to call it? Well, it depends what you mean by the word, right? Um, so I thought I'd just really quickly read this morning uh, what is for many of us, and certainly for me, a really inspirational short passage about what church is like uh, when it's really firing, 
you know. Uh, and, and it's a passage from Acts chapter 2, which is significant because in Acts chapter 2, that was the moment when the church was invented, right? And some of you know the story of Acts chapter 2. Uh, the story is this. Uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He spent about 40 days hanging out with some of his friends that knew him before the resurrection and a few people that didn't hanging out with the apostles, doing a few final downloads. And then Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to check out of here. I'm going to go to another dimension or whatever. He sort of ascends up to heaven and he leaves them alone and says, hey, don't try to do anything crazy until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then they pray together for about 10 days or so. And then the Holy Spirit falls upon them in a prayer meeting, about 120 of them there, about a crew this size. And... Uh, and they just get powered up, man. You know, some of them are speaking in tongues and they're, they're getting emotional. They're feeling it physically, you know, like Corey described and Johnny described. They just like feel a physical force upon them. They stumble out of their prayer room into the streets and they're looking so funny, all physically affected that people think they're drunk. And Peter stands up and he gives a sermon and 3,000 people convert. So it's a pretty good day in church history. And, and after all that, and they have all of these people, they're like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do life uh, together now? And, and this is what they did. This is the description. It comes at the end of Acts chapter 2. I should probably turn there. Uh, we'll put the scripture up on the big board behind me as well. The end of Acts chapter 2, the end of that story, as they basically invent community um, as best they can, given their experiences with Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The word fellowship, ecclesia, gathering, it's the word from which we eventually get the word church. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' leadership, like you guys seem to know what you're doing, we'll kind of follow your advice as best we can, and we're going to gather together. So that's how it started, this sort of devotion to that to the breaking of bread, which is to say eating together, and to prayer, which is to say devoting yourself before God. Everyone was filled with awe, which is such a pregnant phrase. Everyone was like, man, I don't know what's going on here, but dang. You know, that was sort of the attitude. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So you had all of this supernatural power, healings and deliverances, and we get a bunch of stories about that right afterwards. All the believers were together, all of them, and there were already thousands at this point. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Just material freedom. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, which was the temple grounds. There was space. It was like a big temple park. So every day they got together and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there were so many of them that they broke into little small groups and they met in homes as well. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, where if you share really generously and do a bunch of miracles, you tend to get the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Because when you have a healthy family, you tend to produce children. You know, uh, When you have a robust community, you tend to gather in and change people. <sighs> Such a great photograph, snapshot of 
what a healthy spiritual ecosystem looks like. And it's always inspired me, and it's something that I've always reflected on as I try to lead communities uh, of faith in the world, whether it be in East Palo Alto or South Chicago or Boston or, or Honolulu. Um, it's always quite the same. Um, super fruitful, produced a lot of life, produced a lot of freedom. You can just see it in the description, can't you? Yeah. And uh, it presents a picture that is holistic, right? It's not a passage about one thing. It's a passage about all the different wonderful things that were going on. And that's why I like to describe it as, as an ecosystem, uh, you know, producing foremostly new life. And it lists some ingredients. You know, the first thing it says, they devoted themselves. Devoted is a fancy word that means to show up. You know, that's kind of what devotion means. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to getting together in fellowship. You know, I, I, I describe it as a radical showing up. Right? They showed up daily. That's pretty radical. Um, they showed up in the temple and they showed up in home groups. Right? So that's all it is. It's kind of a radical showing up. Uh, one of our sayings at Blue Water is showing up is 80% of everything. Right? You have to show up. Unless you show up, you can't get what's there. If you show up, as Sasha was explaining in her testimony, you get what's there. And what's there, you know, in a family of God is freedom and power and love and belong and all of those things. But you got to show up, you know. And so radical showing up is the thing that they underscore first in this. And unless you show up, you can't bring anyone with you, right? And evidently, they were bringing a lot of people with them, it says, because the Lord was adding to their number daily. They showed up daily. God was adding to their number daily. That does not sound like a coincidence. So that's pretty cool. Uh, learning, you know, the apostles' teaching and stuff like that. They were all hungry to grow and to learn. That's a pretty fruitful attitude. Um, uh, prayer, which is showing up before God, as I said. Devotion to God, showing up before God. This huge generosity, right? There was such a spirit of generosity among them. They all had everything in common, and different ones of them would just sell whatever they had if they owned something, and they would just share it out with anyone who had need. There was clearly no fear of money, no fear about money in this community, which is, I don't know what's more otherworldly, the fact that they did miraculous signs and wonders or the fact that they lived without any money fear because both of those are pretty stinking alien on planet Earth. Uh, but they manifested it great. Generosity was sort of the spirit that empowered everyone together, right? Because I might not have enough to do what I do, but, you know, if we pull our resources, I, I'll have enough to do what I want to do, and you'll have enough to do what you want to do. And one gets the idea that that kind of spirit inhabited uh, this community in Acts chapter 2. So radical generosity uh, as well. Uh, obviously, a lot of supernatural power because uh, they were doing uh, miracles. They were casting demons out of people and, and, and experiencing the direct presence of God. Um, and, uh, of course, a priority on what we would call evangelism, adding daily, right? It's like, this is great. We want to share. Such a spirit of sharing in this community, sharing Supernatural power, sharing, 
material possessions, sharing life, sharing homes, and of course, sharing the gospel, uh, sharing the kingdom of heaven on earth with anyone who will accept it. And I think of this as an ecosystem uh, because that term suggests all these pieces working together. And that's how the kingdom of heaven works on earth. I think of a car engine. I think a lot about car engines. And if you saw the car I drive, you would understand why I have to think a lot about car engines. You know, it's like every time I drive over the poly, I pray. Oh, Lord, just anoint your servant for transportation. Uh, get us through the tunnel, oh, Lord. But here's the thing about car engines, and this is very frustrating, people. The thing about car engines is if one piece of it stops working, then the whole thing breaks down. Have you noticed this? It's like, well, I mean, seriously, it's just a carburetor. Who needs it? You know, I mean, electronic fuel injection, who needs that? Who need well, it turns out everyone. Like, if you don't have that piece working, then the ecosystem falls apart, you know? And if you don't have gas in your tank, then the pieces don't function. You know, if your radiator isn't working, you know, then the whole thing blows up. You know, it, it overheats. All things have to work together. Uh, I think of uh, the analogy of a garden, you know. Uh, you know, I love time in the forest. Gardens are different than forests. Why? A garden is a forest on a mission, right? It has an order. It has a purpose to it. It doesn't just exist for itself. It's producing for sharing outwardly. Right? That's what a garden is. So I think a garden is a great analogy for a church. And we all started in the Garden of Eden, and there's a sense and purpose to that analogy for us. Well, any gardeners out there? What do you need to make a really great garden? Soil? Water? Sunlight? Effort? Pull the weeds? Yeah? Exactly. Daily caring, exactly. You need everything, right? And if you're a master gardener, that means you bring it all. If you only bring sunlight, right, but you forget water, well, how long does your garden last here on Oahu? You know, I don't know, about half an hour, right? Um, tropical sun is strong. It's like, it's everything. And when you get everything together, then your garden just produces and it has not just enough for you, but you're giving stuff away all the time. I know, I get, the, I get the tomatoes, I get the zucchini. I mean, God save us from zucchini, but you know, <laughs> it's like, it just goes nuts, right? And of course, you know, uh, we get those good lettuces and stuff like that. All things uh, working together. And that's really the idea uh, that, that this passage is, is trying to get across, when the kingdom of heaven on earth happens, then it all happens, right? It's not just studying the Bible. That's, that, no, that, that won't produce enough. It's following through on the stuff you read in the Bible. It's doing it together. It's taking it all before God. It's sharing what we have. It's, it's supernatural power, being filled with the Holy Spirit as God, as Jesus commanded his disciples to do before they started. It's everything. And once you get it, you get all of it. And if you don't have all of it, then you're always sputtering like a poor engine. Are you, are you following me? And I think that's the general message. 
that these stories are trying to get across. Now, if you're in a place where it's all happening, and you show up, and you walk in with haunting anxiety, you walk in uh, with sort of spiritual, physical scarring that makes you wake up with night terrors every night for 30 dang years. But if you walk into a place where it's all firing, then you walk out changed, right? You walk out with, well, with life, right? With a greater measure of life, with a greater measure of, of peace for sure, but with something to give away as well. I so appreciated Corey sharing because she shared what happened for her. And then she says, now I wake up and I just think about ways to give it away. She's a garden, right? It's now, it's all working for her, right? And that always translates into a new life, an ecosystem, a, a picture of health. Everyone who enters into that gets more life than they need gets more power than they need. So um, the reason I want to underscore this is because uh, I think we're starting to, to see it at Blue Water. I and mean, we went through a, just a really difficult time. There was, I don't know, there was a pandemic, did you notice? And um, there's some shutdown and stuff like that. And it was a tough time for a lot of, of uh, faith communities, ours included. Um, you know, we're never really huge church, but before the pandemic, Blue Water was like 500 and some odd people. And then when the dust settled and we finally were able to meet again, because we couldn't meet for like two years, and we got this little place to meet into, we were about 140, 150 people. And now there were like approaching 300 people out there. We've, in the last year, we have doubled in number, if you haven't noticed. I mean, there are more services than just the one you attend, so perhaps you don't see. But I'm just starting to see a sort of multiplication. We had... Uh, at the all-church retreat, I happened to know that there were a handful of, of non-believers who came, people who weren't even, you know, sure about Jesus, weren't even following, but just kind of were attracted to the life. And I heard about that, and I said, well, okay, as long as at the end of the retreat, there are no non-believers at the retreat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and we saw these people making that first step into calling, making a decision, right, because that's the first step. And, and some of them were like, hey, can I do that baptism thing? And I was like, nothing's better than a baptism, so sure, you know. And we had a great time in that baptism. Wasn't that fun? That was just deliriously fun. Um, so that's just, you know, it's been like that. Like, you know, we were kind of reduced. We were pruned to do the gardening term. But now, you know, we're starting to see that life. But more than that, I'm starting to see it in your eyes. All right, I'm starting to see that you actually have the confidence to spread life. And, and just what I wanted to assure you and to underscore this morning is that you have something fantastic to give away. Fantastic to give away. But I wanted to just make sure that you understand what it is. What you're giving away is not a Bible verse. It's not a rehearsed script that explains salvation. What do you have to give away? Well, what you have to give away is all of it. Do you understand? Is all of it is all things spiritual, all things life. And by all things, I kind of mean like all things, you know? It's like no one had any need. Like you could not encounter this church and walk away in need. What do you need? Do you need money? Do you need a miracle? Do you need love and fellowship? Do you need a place to be? We got all of it. 
we have the kingdom of heaven on earth. Jesus told a lot of parables. We're doing a Bible exploration series on Jesus' parables. And the majority of Jesus' parables, at least in Matthew, start with the phrase, and the kingdom of heaven is like, dot, dot, dot. What's it like? Well, you need a lot of parables, a lot of stories to describe it because it's everything. It's everything good. It's everything spiritual. It's everything life. It's everything eternal. And that's what you have to give away. And you start to plug into that and understand it, and you become extraordinarily confident. Right? You become just a little bit cocky in a good way, in a Jesus-like way, not in a rude sort of way. But it's like you are so lucky to have met me <laughs> because I, I have something. I have something, and I'm not anxious. I am not afraid. God could tell me to do street evangelism, and doggone it, I would. You know, something like that. Uh, whatever works, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. That's what you got, and I see it in a lot of you. You're starting to understand that, aren't you? Not in kind of this cerebral way, but in that experiential way. It's like, you know what I got? I got stories. You want to hear some stories? You want me to pray for you? You want me to explain something to you? I'll tell you what, just come. And you're starting to feel it, aren't you? Somebody give me an amen. amen. All right. And, and I see it happening. So I think we're going uh, to continue to grow in terms of numbers, but I think we're also going to continue to grow as individuals. Don't put limits on yourself. Put yourself in the middle. Show up on all things, and then show up before God in your prayer, and you're going to be sharing stories about it. I promise you. Because that's how it's been working for low these 2,000 years. And it hasn't slowed down. All of culture wants you to be ashamed of what you have. All of worldly culture. It will lose. The kingdom of heaven on earth will win. Right? It is undefeatable. And that, that's what you have. That's all I got to say. Uh, I just wanted to take note. And I want you to watch. Uh, here's a prediction. Almost immediately, what we're going to see is explosive growth in our young adult population. Right? That's going to happen. I can tell you don't believe it yet, because you're sitting there quietly. Um, but uh, that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to do uh, more baptisms. We're going to see more miracles. Um, and um, we're going to experience a lot more life together a lot more life are you confident? so Father God I pray um, for the kingdom of heaven on earth like Jesus taught us to pray let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we pray Lord that we would be a healthy ecosystem where we can all come and get the life we need and all go and share the life we have. In Jesus' name, amen.